Good morning, Pleasant Street Church. The Lord be with you. Thank you so much. For those of you that are joining us online, the Lord be with you as well, and welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us. We had um, a little bit of movement happening, and I think we're getting settled now. Um, today is a very special day. We are so glad that finally this day has happened. We welcome Matthew Burns, and we're going to be installing him as our pastor this morning. So it's going to be a very exciting and full morning. Um, we have guests that are here with us, um, special friends, and we're so thankful that they will be taking part in our worship this morning. And so good morning and welcome to you as well. Uh, we also this morning will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So if you came in and picked up one of these little communion packages, that's perfect. Um, if you did not, the elders are going around, so just raise your hand, and if you need one, they will come and bring it to you. Those of you that are at home, make sure you get your elements ready as well, so that there will, you'll be ready at the time in the service when that will be happening. Um, finally, there is also a space under the balcony for any little people that need to get out some wiggles during the service. So feel free to use that space as well. They are part of our church and we welcome everyone here, but sometimes we need to move a little bit. And so even if there are grown-ups, I suppose, that need to move a little bit, feel free to use that space in the back as well. Friends, let's quiet our hearts now as we prepare for worship. God of life, thank you for calling us to belong to something so much bigger than ourselves. Thank you for your church in all times and all places. We pray that all who come to worship today may sense that the gospel of Christ is so much bigger even than this congregation. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit. We are going to wait on our call to worship. We're going to sing first. God is here. God is the one that has invited us to worship this morning, and our response is one of praise.
the Lord and greatly to be praised. There is no end to his greatness. One generation shall praise your works to another. And shall declare your power. All your works praise you, Lord, and your faithful servants bless you. They make known the glory of your kingdom. And speak of your power. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Good morning, Pleasant Street. 
Jesus is here. That was a sound from heaven, uh, and sometimes I just speak too loud. So, <laughs> Jesus is here with us, and as much as that noise probably stirred us and shook our hearts a little bit, uh, he's here to meet with us in wonderful ways because he continues to give good gifts to his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, and this morning... We get to celebrate that he's given you the gift of another shepherd in Matthew Burns. And so I'm grateful to be here with you all and to remember together the calling of your church that's been in this area of Massachusetts for more than 100 years. That Matthew alongside you is called to love your neighbors and be a witness to the good news of Jesus' kingdom. And, and sometimes we forget that. But by God's grace, he reminds us through baptism that in our baptisms together, we remember who we are. That's why we're baptized in the name of the Father, because we are beloved and adopted daughters and sons who are called to a family, weak and strong, sick and healthy, across cultures and ethnicities. You have been baptized in the name of the Father. You've been baptized in the name of the Son, because Jesus is our Savior and our servant King, and through his life and death and resurrection and ascension, he reigns over sin and death and evil. And we get to join him, not coming here to be served, but to serve and to give our lives as he gave his. And we're baptized in the name of the Spirit because we can't do this without the very breath of God, without his Spirit empowering us to live this life where we bear fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness in gentleness and self-control. And so, I don't get to just say these words, but in this call to confession, we get to display. That pouring out is God graciously continuing to pour out for this church so that we will flow like a river into these streets. Because Jesus gives us the living water. As we move into this time of confession, I have three questions for you all. Because by God's grace, we have died to sin. We have been raised to new life. And now God call, has called us to a life of ministry in a broken world, wearing the clothes of his son. Pleasant Street Church, I ask you once again to reject sin and to profess your faith in Jesus. The first question, sisters and brothers, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? And will you be Christ's faithful disciples, obeying his word and showing his love? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, by your grace and power, answer these proclamations beyond what we can ask for or imagine. Holy Spirit, help Pleasant Street Church cast all their sins and cares on Jesus because our God and Father cares for this church. 
May Pleasant Street bear their crosses and share in Jesus' resurrection victory. King Jesus, we ask you that you would reign in this church and complete what you started. May their baptisms and the reminder of their baptisms seal them and release them to be all that God you have called them to be. You have washed away all their sin and made them a new creation together. And we pray all these things with humility and with hope because we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Pleasant Street St. Peter, with these words of assurance, says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And now let's say together, in Christ we are forgiven, redeemed, and made to be a community united in faith. Sisters and brothers, washed by Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. Therefore, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us together the ministry of reconciliation. And together we say, God has entrusted the message of reconciliation to us. We will be Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. Amen and amen. Let's sing a song of response. I invite you to rise, body or in spirit.
Pastor Matthew reminded us in our prayer time, in Christ, all things hold together. And so as we pass this peace, that means in pandemic, in pestilence, in famine, in fear, in war, sisters and brothers continue to pass this because Jesus still reigns. And so on those words, the peace of Christ be with you. And also. What a great privilege to be with you all this morning and to join you as a congregation in this celebration of God's leading in your church's life and uh, Pastor Matthew and Diana and their family as uh, he leads them here as well. Um, many of you, I think, know me, but for those who don't, my name is Joel Vandewerk and I'm the pastor of Fairlawn Christian Reform Church across town. Um, so I'm here as a representative of your sister congregation. I'm also here representing Classus Atlantic Northeast, which is the regional group of Christian Reformed churches. Um, Classus, when a church is looking for a new pastor, appoints somebody they call the Classus Counselor to kind of provide resources and help and encouragement, and uh, that was my role as well. And so on behalf of all of the Christian Reformed churches in the Northeast, uh, we are excited for you and for Pastor Matthew as uh, you begin the next chapter in the story God is writing in your life. We're here to install a pastor this morning, and so part of the process of that is to take a step back and to ask ourselves, what are we doing really? And I'm going to be drawing from one of the liturgical forms that the Christian Reformed Church has developed to help us reflect on what it means to be a pastor. In Matthew's case, what does it mean for us to, as a congregation, to support our pastor in ministry? Well, Congregation of Jesus Christ, today we rejoice in God's special care for his church since we have the privilege of installing Reverend Matthew Burns 
to ministry of this word, the word in this congregation. God has called through the congregation. Matthew and Diana and their family have accepted that call, and now we install him as he begins his work. Ministry begins here. We just heard about our baptismal calling in Jesus Christ, and all ministry flows from this point, this call of God on our lives to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to the whole world. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, as he's about to ascend back into heaven, he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But the church soon realized this task of making disciples was an enormous, complex task. And so the early church, under the guidance of the apostles, instituted different ministries to ensure that that work that Christ calls us to would be done well. Elders, deacons, pastors are a part of this work. And those engaged in this ministry, these ministries were to function under Christ's power and authority, a power and authority that is rooted in obedience to the word of God and in servant, loving service to others. These ministries are distinguished from the ones given to, by Christ to all believers, and together they enable the whole mission of the church. So we're here today to focus on the office of minister of the word. What does that mean? Look in the Bible. The Bible gives us some pictures of what it's like to be a minister, what, as a congregation, we look for our minister to do. There's the picture of a servant. The minister is a servant, both of Christ and of the church. There's the picture of a steward or a caretaker in the household of God. There's the picture of the pastor as a teacher, somebody who explains the mystery of the gospel. The pastor is a shepherd of the flock, caring for the sheep God loves. The pastor is an ambassador. He's a herald of the king, proclaiming the message of reconciliation to the world. Now, the official title that we give to Pastor Matthew in, in the Christian Reformed Church is Minister of the Word, and that reflects the fact that the pastor's central task is rooted in the Word of God. Ministers must faithfully speak God's Word to the hearts and minds of God's people. Paul stresses this for, the, uh, for Timothy when he says in 2 Timothy 4, Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And so the minister leads in the word, but he also leads in the sacraments because the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are visible signs of what is proclaimed in the gospel promises of the word. And since the minister has the responsibility of preaching the word and administering the sacraments, there's also the responsibility to conduct worship services that glorify God and build up the church. But there's other pictures as well. We talked about them. There's the task of caring for God's people. Along with the elders and deacons, Christ has entrusted the pastor to care for the congregation, to care especially for the young, to teach, instruct them in the way of salvation, and to encourage those who join alongside the pastor in the task of teaching them about Christ. As a shepherd, Pastor Matthew will also visit members of the congregation those who are sick and suffering, those who are hurting, straying. 
He must hold and trust things that are confided to him in counsel or in confession. He encourages the weak and the suffering. As an ambassador, as a servant, he'll be tasked with engaging in and promoting the work of evangelism and to help encourage all of God's people to share in this common calling of showing Christ's love in word and deed to those in need around us. And again, all of these pictures go back to the fact that Matthew Burns is a minister of the word. In everything a pastor proclaims, explains, applies the word of God so that the church of Jesus Christ grows and is built up in its Lord and Savior. And so as you can hear, being a minister is a weighty task. It's one that's not taken lightly. It's one that requires much prayer, humility, and patience. But that's exactly how God would have us do that work. And so it's time now to install Matthew Burns as the pastor of this church. Brother Matthew, I'm going to have you come up, and I'm going to ask you four questions to indicate that you are accepting these responsibilities. You as a congregation have, of course, called him. You've said you see these gifts in him. You see that he is somebody who, who has the, the qualities that God would have in a shepherd of this church. And now I want you to answer these questions in the presence of our brothers and sisters and in the presence of God who loves you and who loves them. So, Pastor Matthew, do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God himself calls you to this holy ministry? Second, do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, the only infallible rule for faith and life? Third, do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of this church, rejecting all teaching that contradicts them? And finally, do you promise to be a faithful minister, to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your calling, Submit to the government and discipline of the church. If you do, please say, I do, God helping me. I do, God helping me. Once again, for those in the back, I do, God helping me. I was just getting set to repeat it. I heard it, so you're all okay. Well, Pastor Matthew, one of the things you've done is to wear a robe, I think is a symbol of the fact that what you want people to see is not just you, but the office that you hold, uh, the the work of Christ through you. And so I'm going to help you put the robe on to symbolize that you are now officially the pastor of this church. council members and visiting clergy and so on to come up here and we would all place our hands on Matthew as a sign of our prayers for him and God's blessing on him. Um, mm -hmm. We can't do that quite that way this morning, but I can invite the council members and any clergy that are here to just stand and if you would, just please extend a hand of blessing as we pray for God's uh, 
blessing over him. Matthew Burns, may God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to this great and glorious office, may he enlighten, strengthen, and govern you by his word and spirit, so that you may serve faithfully and fruitfully in your ministry here, for the glory of his name and for the coming of the kingdom of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Congregation, I'm going to have you all stand for a second. You're not off the hook either. Our brother Matthew had to say a lot of weighty things, but he doesn't do this job alone. And so I want to ask you to give your answer to these questions. Do you, in the name of the Lord, welcome this brother as your minister and pastor? Do you promise to take to heart the word of God as he proclaims it? Do you promise to pray for him, to share with him in the work of his ministry? to encourage him in the exercise of his tasks and to respond to his work with obedience, love, and respect. Congregation, what is your answer? We do. God helping us. You may be seated. Well, Matthew, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you here in town, uh, not only as a brother in Christ, but as a fellow colleague in ministry. I know the church has been looking forward to and praying for this day for quite some time. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad to see it here. And I want to welcome your family as well, Diana and your kids. There they are. Can't, hard to see people when you're all behind masks, right? Uh, but we pray that God would give you joy in your service here and your family's life here that he would equip you with everything that you need in order to serve him faithfully as you get to know the congregation here at Pleasant Street, get to know the community, and uh, we trust that God will continue to build you up in his spirit out of those days when mm. the tasks feel overwhelming, that he'll call your attention back to your baptismal identity, yeah. mm-hmm. that the promises you proclaim in the word, through the word, and through the sacraments are not just for others, but are for you yeah. as well. And. Uh, for your, you as a church, Pleasant Street, continue to appoint your pastor, point each other towards Jesus, who is the only foundation for everything that we do, our only hope in life and in death. Mm-hmm. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So we're going to move now into a litany, a responsive reading. Uh, Phil's going to get us started, and uh, there will be some responses after each of these sections that you'll be prompted to read, and then we'll uh, move from there into a time of prayer. Today, we celebrate God's goodness and the calls he gives to each of us who are baptized and who believe in Christ. Mm. We have been given a common ministry to witness to Jesus as Savior and Lord and to love and serve those with whom we live and work. God has made us ambassadors for Christ who reconciles and makes whole. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. For this privilege, for this calling, for all God's love and goodness. We give you thanks, O God, God, for your unfailing love and and for the wonderful things you have done. We rejoice that in faithful love, God has also provided leaders to serve as pastors and teachers to his people and to provide leadership in the missionary calling of the church. As fellow leaders in this congregational ministry, we give thanks for the privilege of serving together before our Lord and offer our encouragement with all the congregation as you carry out these duties for the building 
of the church, for this privilege, for this calling, and for all God's love and goodness. We give you thanks, O God, for your unfailing love and the wonderful things you have done. Our gracious God has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We praise God for calling faithful servants to lead his holy people in love, to proclaim his word, and to celebrate the sacraments of the new covenant. We thank God for bringing Matthew Burns here as a pastor of this church, and we pray that God will sustain you as our pastor with patience and understanding so that you may love and care for God's people here, and together we may follow Jesus Christ for this privilege, for this calling, and for all God's love and goodness. We give, we give you thanks, O oh God, for your unfailing love and the wonderful things you have done. We're going to move now into a time of prayer. And um, again, at the end of this prayer, when Steve is finished, we'll be prompted again to respond with a word of thanks as a congregation. Let's pray. Merciful Father, in our own task, in our own strength, we cannot carry out the tasks you have given us. But we thank you for this awesome privilege that we get to participate in your work of gathering lost people out of the entire human race to life eternal through the work of the church. Lord, you reached out to us when we were lost, when we were confused, when we were hurting. And now you call us to share in your amazing work of bringing your good news to others. Not only do you allow us by grace to have a relationship with you, you invite us to share in the task of building your church. Today in particular, we thank you for the role to which you've called Matthew Burns as a part of that privilege. Thank you for the gifts that you've given him, the way you've equipped him for ministry. Thank you for bringing him and his family to this place that they may be messengers of your peace. And now, send your Holy Spirit on him and on his family. Enlighten his mind to know the truth of your word. Give him speech so that he can make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Give him wisdom to care for and guide the people among whom you have placed him. Through his ministry, Lord, preserve your church here at Pleasant Street in peace. May it increase in number and in love for Jesus. Give Matthew, your servant, courage to fulfill his calling when it's challenging and power through your spirit to be steadfast to the end. May he and Diana and their family find joy in serving you here and be encouraged by your work in their own lives in this process. For all these things, we praise you, triune God. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this day for your many blessings. Thank you for your church, the elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. We thank you that the church has the task of calling others to your saving grace in Jesus Christ, to the fellowship of the covenant community. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this community and the many ministries and other activities that go on in your name. We ask your blessing on Matthew as he comes to lead this church. Bless him and help him to develop friendships and relationships with the other Christians in our community. Help this to be the beginning of a time of great growth and renewal among all the Christians in this area. Let this be a time when the schools and the 
the other ministries gather around and support each other and that Matthew be one of the leaders in that. We ask for strength for him. We ask for knowledge. We ask for blessing for him and his family as he takes on this powerful uh, ministry. But we also ask for joy as he enters a new community, as he meets new members of your elect, as he begins this very important ministry as part of a community, as part of a town, as part of even our whole nation. Uh, Heavenly Father, that is a deep and very uh, powerful task that you have given to him. But we also know that you are available and are there to support him. Let us, through the community members, through the leaders and the other Christian organizations around, also support Matthew in the way he needs to be supported. And thank you for this opportunity of wonderful beginnings, renewals, and growth. In your name I pray. Father, as Pastor Matthew begins his ministry here, we ask that you give us open hearts and minds, a willingness to hear you through him. We trust that you'll provide him with the messages we need to hear in order to carry out the work you've already planned for us. You call us to be the salt of the earth, salt, a seasoning meant to enhance and improve, make something good even better. You also call us to be the light of the world, light which obliterates darkness and provides a reflection of you. In our life here at Pleasant Street, our church family life here, bless us with a new beginning, a new openness with each other, a willingness to have the difficult conversations when needed, to be a praying people, and to provide the grace each other deserves. When we experience injustice, Lord, it takes all kinds of shapes. But even now during COVID-19, students, families, may feel it's just not fair as we feel parts of lives suspended or stolen. May each feel your presence in the waiting. For those who have experienced loss, Lord, relationships severed by separation may, may know you are with them. For our church family members, Lord, who have experienced the loss of employment or their livelihood, may you lead them to a place of renewal. For those who suffered the loss of loved ones this year, Lord, most recently, the Wiersma families, and there have been others, we ask for your grace and comfort. For the divisions among us, Lord, <clears throat> both here and across our country, please help us find ways to come together. For those who suffered loss in other ways, including property, as we've just learned this morning, 
that the Nardone family just this morning had a severe fire in their home and suffered great loss. May this be an opportunity for us to be your hands and feet and heart. We long, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to lead us on the right path, the path chosen by you, so that we can be salt and light, so that we can help guide, comfort, and provide healing for each other and in our community. All this we can only do through prayer and your healing and guiding presence. For the privilege of being your children in Christ, Lord, for the calling to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, we bring together, we together bring our praise for all God's love and goodness. Together we say, we give you thanks, O God, for your unfailing love and for the wonderful things you have done. Amen. Good morning. This morning's passage comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to the God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning to you, brothers and sisters here at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Good morning to you here in the room and those of you joining us from your living room. Good morning, guests. Good morning to you who are curious about Jesus and new to this whole Christian thing. Good morning to those of you who follow him intently. Good morning to you who come from sister congregations and partners in the gospel from the NAC and from Emmaus City, from Fairlawn, from WCS, from the river. Good morning, mom and dad. Good morning, mama and daddy. Today we are quite a collection, are we not? Today it is a big tent of people gathered and I am so honored, we are honored that all of you could be here, and I'm thankful to those of you who helped make this tent as wide as humanly possible so that we could all fit. Such a big group, though, is bound to be full of different people from different backgrounds and different familiarities with all of 
what's happening right now. And yet what amazes me this morning is that we are greeted together by Paul from a long, long time ago with a metaphor that we can all understand. In fact, all these thousands of years since Paul wrote these words to a bunch of people in Colossae, he's talking about something that we still do every day. In fact, we did it today. Well, at least most of us did. Paul's talking about getting dressed. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul's talking about getting dressed, and Paul is telling us all these years later the same thing that he told the Colossians, that, that we need to get dressed, which is funny if you think about it, because we do it every day. In fact, getting dressed is something so common that we might just blow right by the fact that Paul mentioned it. We might just miss the fact that Paul wants us to think about getting dressed. After all, I mean, how significant could it be to put on a set of clothes? We do it every day. As I think about it, sometimes it is the most common things that are the ones that we think about the least. Hmm. Which is probably exactly why Paul wants us to think about it together. About getting dressed, I mean, because we do it every day. Because clothes, putting on clothes, can be a very powerful thing indeed. At the start of her morning shift, a nurse sits in a chair and she gently begins to slip on her booties and then her gown. She ties up her hair in protective mesh, and after a thorough two-minute washing, she pulls on nitrile gloves. She dons a mask, and then another, and then a face shield. Dressed in the soft blue and translucent yellows of her PPE, she steps through the airlock into a COVID wing full of machines breathing for those who can't. Oh, friends, don't ever underestimate the power of a change of clothes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Yes, now that we're thinking about it, clothes can say something rather important, can't they? I mean, putting something on can tell us something special. I mean, for 31 seasons, we all watched him put something on, didn't we? For 31 seasons, we tuned into our local PBS station, and we watched Fred Rogers open the door into our living rooms. Mr. Rogers, he entered the room singing about a beautiful day. And the first thing he did was, what? Change his clothes. He took off his work jacket. He took off his work shoes and he put on that famous cardigan and those blue slip-on ones. And by doing that every single day, every time he walked through the door into our living rooms, he told us something, did he not? He told us all, I am home to play with you. I am with you now. I am here. You are special. 
Friends, don't ever underestimate the power of a change of clothes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But now that we're looking at it, we do notice, too, that Paul isn't talking about just any old outfit, is he? Paul has a particular outfit in mind for us this morning. Paul is talking about Jesus' clothes. He's talking about wearing Jesus today to this big group of people scattered across the internets and from many different backgrounds. Paul says to us, to all of us, that we ought to put on Jesus like a set of clothes. When Paul tells us to get dressed in Jesus, he's He's not actually really talking about what we're wearing, not exactly. No, he's, he's reminding us who we are. Did you hear it? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Did you catch it? God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We've heard it a couple times already together today. Paul is, well, he's, he's addressing us. He's dressing us with words in a reminder of who we now are so that we remember how to live. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. A few years ago, Lauren Winner, a writer and a theologian who teaches at Duke, she wrote a book called Wearing God. And in it, she writes about all the metaphors for God in the Bible that we miss, that we sometimes just blow right past. One of them, turns out, is clothing. Winner writes about clothing, and one of the things that she notices about clothing is that our bodies give shape to the clothes that we wear, that's what we all know, right? But then clothes return the favor by starting to shape us. What we wear says something about us. That's why we think about what we put on. But what we put on each day also begins to say something to us about who we are. Given enough time, clothes really will tell you who you are. Really? Really, Lauren? I, I just thought it was a pantsuit, not an identity. And so she tells a story because she knows we might be skeptical in order to explain what she means. And she says that she teaches as part of her work at Duke, at, uh, she teaches a class at a women's prison each week. And in that class, the students there wear two very different kinds of clothes. Half the students in her class are incarcerated, and half of them are free to leave when the bell rings. She writes, half the students come to class each week wearing whatever cute skirts and cardigans and earrings struck our fancy that morning. The other half of the class is wearing sea foam green uniforms. When speaking for themselves as a group, the incarcerated women often say, those of us in green. Oh, friends, don't ever underestimate the power of a change of clothes. Those women know that you don't have to wear a green jumpsuit for too long before it begins to define who you are. And any released inmate will tell you that Getting free takes a lot more than just taking the jumpsuit off. You have to put something else on. At one point, Winner, reflecting on clothing, says this. She says, I become professional or hip depending on what I'm wearing. 
I feel different when I wear different clothes. I act differently. I let my Talbot suits and my vintage shirts remake me in their image. I want to let Jesus do the same. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Christ is a set of clothes, and Paul wants us to get dressed. He wants us to dress ourselves in a way of life that goes out of our way to listen to the weak and the vulnerable. Paul wants us to put on kindness in how we treat our enemies. Paul wants us to wrap ourselves up in humility, considering everyone around us as more qualified than we are and persons of better character. Paul wants us to put on gentleness and patience, especially when we are with those who take a long time to change. Well, it's not so much the putting on that we quibble with, though, is it? I mean, who doesn't want to dress like Jesus? Who doesn't want to be more patient in life? Yeah, but Paul says something that we missed just a couple of minutes ago. He says that before you can put Jesus on, you first have to take something off. What do we take off, we wonder? Well, it's right there in verse 8 and 9 if you want to look at it. It's one of Paul's famous uh, laundry lists, you could call it. A laundry list of habits that we have to throw off. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Take off lying to each other since you took off your old self, Paul writes. Who doesn't want to put on more of Jesus? But it's the taking off that's the tricky part. Because what Paul says we have to take off just seems so common. So common that we might blow right by it. I mean, some people somewhere else, they have trouble with greed and lying. Maybe people in major urban centers, maybe Californians. But our laundry list of signs just needs... Well, that's a bit dramatic. It needs something more like a gentle wash cycle. Our greed is barely noticeable after all. It's just the little resentment over what our neighbor has, and we only ever wear it when we're at home with the family. No one ever sees us in it. Our lying is just a little saving of the face, a little suggestion that our family life is put together a little better than the reality. Our rage is justified because... If you were married to my spouse who just keeps omitting the same thing that we've been asking for for years, you would be angry too. Our slander is just a slight adjustment of facts about someone we barely know. It's just enough to make ourselves feel better. Paul wants us to take these off, take off all anger, all greed, all lying. I mean, these seem actually more just like well-worn sweaters and jeans. They should blend with the new Jesus wardrobe. Jerry, Jesus should fit right over them, in fact. You'll barely notice. Oh, but friends, don't ever underestimate the need for a change of clothes. Paul says we need a change of clothes. Paul says be rid of it all. Take it to the trash. Burn them. Why? Because they are killing us. In the eastern region of Ukraine, there is a city called Pripyat, 
It's abandoned now and it's uninhabitable because it's a mile from Chernobyl, the reactor that exploded in April of 1986. And Pripyat, there is a hospital. It's the hospital where the sick were first taken after the meltdown began. And in Pripyat, in the hospital, there is a basement in the hospital. And in the basement, there is a room. And in the room, there is a great big pile of clothes. Helmets, jackets, socks, pants, shirts, and sweaters, and gloves, and boots. There are the clothes and the uniforms that the first responders were wearing when they tried to put out the fire. They were told it was just a fire. Nobody knew it was radioactive. They are still lethally radioactive today. When the firefighters fell suddenly and strangely ill, they were taken to this hospital in Pripyat. And seeing that this was radiation poisoning, the doctors knew what this was, and they ordered them to take off everything and to put it as far away as humanly possible. They had to be rid of them once and for all and immediately because the clothes they were wearing were literally killing them. Friends, don't underestimate the power of a change of clothes. This morning, Paul holds up a mirror to us all these thousands of years later. He shows us what a Christian wears in this life. He shows us what Jesus looks like as a set of clothes. But sometimes you've got to take something off in order to put on Christ. And we see it. We see our anger, our greed, our resentment, our gossip, our slander. They fit just fine, and we barely notice them. And they are killing us and infecting the world. The only thing to do is to strip them off, and to be washed, and to put something else on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. I wonder, do you know the story of Eustace in the Chronicles of Narnia? Well, Eustace is not a very kind boy. Not that that ever seemed to bother him. But actually, everyone else could see that he was downright cruel and, and angry and greedy. And as it happens, Eustace winds up in Narnia with Lucy and Peter and Edmund, and they are sailing through the islands of Narnia. And on one such island, Eustace goes exploring by himself. He finds a cave, and in the cave, huge pile of money. He loves it so much that he falls asleep right down next to it. But when he awakens, some time later, he realizes that he's no longer a human boy. He's become a dragon. It's like all the greed and the anger and the rage and the selfishness that was inside of him has become the skin on his body, dragon skin. And Eustace weeps because it hurts and because he realizes that he is alone. No one wants to be friends with a dragon. And it's, it's then that he meets Aslan the lion. And Aslan leads Eustace to a garden where there is a well. And he knows almost instinctively that if, that if he can just get into the water, it will ease his pain. Realizing, um, but Aslan says that before he can get in, he has to get undressed. And so Eustace tries, and he tries to peel off the dragon skin. Scales come off, but there's more underneath. 
He cannot seem to get to the bottom of the scales. Three times he tries on his own to get them off, but he can't get it off. And so he can't get in the water. And so he can't ease the pain, realizing that he cannot undress, that he cannot heal himself. He turns to Aslan and Aslan says, I must undress you. And so Eustace lays down and Aslan uses his claw to cut into and to peel off the skin and it hurts so badly but it is coming off and when finally every single scale has been cut from his body Aslan lifts him gently and sets him in the water and Eustace is washed clean when he gets out he realizes that he is a boy again he's new he's new and Aslan gives him a brand new set of clothes to befit the change. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Friends, what C.S. Lewis describes in his novel is what Jesus has done in reality for us. We wear anger and gossip and lies and greed. We feel scared and alone, and we're not sure if we can trust each other. Long as we do for a community of forgiveness and mutual trust like the one that Paul describes, we've been wearing grave clothes so long we don't actually know where the buttons and the clasps and the zippers are anymore. We don't know how to get them off without help. We need to be washed and we need something else to wear. And this is why God comes to us, because we could not get to him. Next week, we begin our Advent journey toward Christmas, toward the reminder that God came to us. And in order to do that, Christ took something off, and he put something on. Jesus had everything. He had all the glory, all the love, and the trust, and the power, the best clothing, you could say. He was robed as a son and a king, and when it was time, he took it all off, and he came here and Jesus takes off his heavenly glory and he dresses as a human. He becomes a human. And not just a human, but a servant. And not just a servant, but a slave. And throughout his life, he keeps taking off glory, spending time with the least glorified and hanging out with those who could do nothing for his reputation and enduring the derision and the scorn of those who should have lauded him. And he keeps taking off his glory right up until his death when his clothes are literally taken from him. He dies almost naked and utterly and completely alone. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? So that he could dress you in his glory. He becomes what we are so that we might become what he is. And so Paul says today, tomorrow, every day, when you rise and when you go to bed, when you come into the hospital for work, when you put on a jacket to go home, when you put on a surgeon's gown or a clean electrician's shirt for the day, whatever you put on, remember, remember, remember that today when you woke up, the truest thing in the world is that Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is even now in charge of the whole universe and you died with him. And you are being raised to new life with him even now. So dress accordingly. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, and patience. On the night before the Passover, Jesus was with his disciples where he wanted to be, and on that night, he gave them a meal. And at that meal, he told them that this meal was special. It was to be a reminder of something that he was about to do. Isn't that interesting? A reminder of something he was about to do. This bread and this wine, he said, is going to be a symbol of my body and my blood that is given for you. And he told them to keep eating it in order to remember it and to wait for him. And we're going to do that together in a minute. But on this night, after the meal, Jesus took off his outer clothes and he got a basin of water and he knelt down. And he asked them to take off their mucky shoes, and Jesus began to wash manure-encrusted feet. And Peter says, stop. And Jesus says, you need this. And Peter says, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, I already have. What does he mean? Jesus means that he has already taken off your old death clothes and he's washed you in his blood and he has made you clean. And for those of you who have met him and who have sat at this table and know his voice and believe in him, you are clean too. And for those of you who feel the dirt, he offers the same thing. And now Jesus gives us something else to wear, to dress like him, to act like him, which is why Jesus then says to all of us, wash each other's feet. Wash your neighbor's feet. Wash the feet of your enemies, not because we need to be washed, but because we already have been. And I'll give you this. It might feel a little awkward. Humility does tend to pinch around the ego. And compassion is not the most fashion-forward decision that you could make this week. And humility is a rough fabric indeed. Be that as it may, I can tell all of you without a doubt that compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, they look great on you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you together as brothers and sisters, as a body, as people who have passed from death to life. We remember that through our baptism. We come to you as people whom you have washed and who long to be washed. People who long to feel you impress upon us the calling to live your story in this world, in Whitensville, in Northbridge. Lord, we come to you longing to be dressed in that peculiar and distinctive wardrobe that you have given us to us, given to all of us. Lord, we ask that this week you would open our eyes and that by your spirit we would have the strength to clothe ourselves as your son, that you would remind us of what you took off in order to put something on us. And now as we come to your table, we ask that you would uh, feed us, not just with words, but also with a very small wafer and a little cup of juice 
and not just with a wafer and juice, but with your own uh, spiritual body and blood. Strength for the journey. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we have had quite a journey together this morning, have we not? We started at the font, we went over to the pulpit, and now we are at the table. We started this day remembering what God has done to wash us, to call us to himself. Uh, We remember that we belong to him in life and in death, body and soul, no matter what. He's fed us with his words, his promises, his reminders of who we are. And now he brings us to his table and everything is ready. He has done all the work to prepare this table. And so here we remember his story and we remember what he did for us. And here we are fed for the journey to be sent out into this week, whatever it might hold for you. And this morning we could ask which table? Well, it's this one, but it's also whatever table that you are at this morning in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever the bread and the juice or the wine are gathered around you, whichever table it is, It is the table of the Lord because Christ is present when we are gathered in his presence and in his name. And so at this table, whether it's this one or your own, everything is ready. And so let's get ourselves ready. I've been thinking about Leviticus a lot, believe it or not, during COVID, because Leviticus is a book uh, that often seems very far away. And yet so far in the last couple of months hasn't seemed really so far away, right? Because if you know it, it's in the Old Testament if you have no idea where that is, and that's okay. Uh, But Leviticus is a book that is all about how a community can be clean in a contagious world. And that sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Amen? It does. Leviticus is all about how a community can be clean in a contagious world. And we, of course, at Pleasant Street want to be a community that is spreading the gospel and not virus. Amen? And to that end, before we take this supper, wanted to let you know of a couple ways that you can prepare yourselves if you would like. There should be hand sanitizers available somewhere around you if you would like to sanitize before we take the bread uh, and, the, and the juice, the cup together. This would be a great moment for you to do so. It's not required. If you would like uh, a um, nurse-approved uh, practice for how to go about doing that, they would suggest that you would open the bread, as I'll tell you to do in a minute, and then you remove your mask, and then the last thing you do is sanitize your hands. So that's bread, mask, hands. Make sense? You guys are smart. We're gonna be just fine. I'm not worried. Um, But of course, what we realize is when we come to this table, the reason that cleanliness is important is because we want it to mirror the spiritual cleanliness that Jesus has already made for us. Jesus at this meal tells us that he has already made us spiritually clean, and so we want our physical reality to reflect the spiritual reality. And that's why we wash and why we mask and why we try to protect each other. So if you'd like to, you can go ahead and take a moment to do that now. And for the small people among us who might be participating in the Lord's Supper and have no idea what I just said, help us, let me explain it like this. Jesus gave us this meal because our hearts are sick. We make each other sick with our sin. Jesus came to heal our hearts and to make us clean. And that's why we take this bread and this juice. That's what makes it special. For on the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he gave thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant which is sealed in my blood and poured out for you and for many. Whenever you do this, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and whenever we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so, congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and who trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are sorry for their sins, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who desire to live in obedience to him, are invited now to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. And so, my friends, now, I would invite you uh, to take a moment, if you would, and open the top layer of your, your little self-packaged cup here. You guys are ahead of me. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, take eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. This one's a bit trickier. Spill factor is high. Ready? Yeah? Brothers and sisters, take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Let's pray together. Lord God, King of the Church, our shepherd, our savior, our teacher, our friend. Lord, we come to you grateful that you have gathered us here together this morning on a great, special, and joyous day. We thank you for the work that you have reminded us that you are doing in each and every one of us, not just in me, but in all of us together as a community. We ask that as we go together, fed at your table, washed um, by your spirit, that we would go out changed, that we go out dressed anew, that this week the people whom we know the best and the people who we meet for the first time would find a reason to wonder and to ask about what, uh, what is happening in our lives, and that you would give us the words to share the good news that we have uh, heard and seen and tasted together this morning. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Friends, I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit. Let's sing together, King of Kings. Two. 
friends, brothers and sisters, guests, faithful members, lifelong attenders, everyone gathered here together this morning, whether you are in the room or through the internet, all of us are gathered in the presence of this God who has come and who has met with us. And the same God who has gathered us in promises to go with us, not just to go with us, but to send us, marked by his spirit, by his promises, crackling with new life. And so may it be so. Would you receive God's parting blessing? Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Friends, go in peace.